I've entitled today's message, A Costly Ransom. We find our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. So if you'd like to read along with us, uh, turn in your Bibles there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Those of you who were here last week may recall that in our previous passage, verse 14, there Peter says, as obedient children, as obedient children. And we spent some time considering what does that actually mean, that God wants us to be His children, but not just children. God is looking for obedient children. Now, we, He's not looking for us to be obedient so that we might earn salvation, far from it. He wants to adopt us into His family as we are, but when we become His children, He expects us to be obedient children, to read His Word, to understand His Word, and most importantly, to follow His Word, to actually do what He says. Just as even an earthly father, we expect our children to obey. They, we expect them to obey our instruction. We expect them to obey our authority. And so it is with God. So in verse 14 from last week, He says, As obedient children. And you may recall that I had said that if you are going to call God your Father, then you should be an obedient child. To do less is to bring, bring disgrace upon the name of God. And so Peter follows the same logic as we pick up this morning in verse 17. He continues this thought as he says, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now there's a lot said in those couple of verses. We could probably spend all day unpacking that. But we won't. Not today. Maybe another day. We'll pack a lunch and just stay all day. John, did you say amen? <laughs> Maybe the lunch part. There is a lot to be said in that passage. There are a lot of conditional statements in there. Let me give you an example. And if you call on him as father. And then the conditional statement after that defines the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So in an effort to try to break this down a little so that we can all understand it better, I kind of removed some of the conditional statements, tried to get down to just the essence of what is said here. So if you pull out just the key statements here, it, it reads much more simply, and I think you'll understand it a little better. So it might be rendered this way. If you call on Him as Father, conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. 
That's what all of that essentially boils down to. If you call on Him as Father, conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. So if you're going to call on Him as Father, the Father that we are referring to here is the Almighty God who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. God is a Father, but God also is Almighty. He is God Almighty, but He is also a mighty judge. You know, if you stop and think about it some, you really can't understand mercy and grace without understanding justice. You see, the justice is, according to God's Word, that we all deserve eternal death. We all deserve hell. That's justice. That's what we deserve. But because of God's mercy and His grace, He is willing to forgive us. But He sits as the mighty judge on His throne and will judge those who refuse His grace and His mercy. We see Psalm chapter 9, verses 7 through 8 describe God as a righteous judge. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. Psalm 96, verse 10 also says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He will judge the people with equity. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 20 says, O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. You see the theme here? God is a loving Father. He is willing to forgive us. But in his truest nature, he is just. His word says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin, the price, the penalty for sin is death. And so were he to judge us simply based on his justice, then he would be left no alternative but to condemn us. But he is willing to forgive us because of the price his son Jesus paid. So this God that we're talking about here is the God who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. One of the best examples of God's righteousness, His majesty, His position as both Father, Creator, and Judge is seen in Revelation chapter 20. Beginning in verse 11 there, the Apostle John has had the curtain removed so that he can see into heaven and see God seated upon His throne. And in verse 11 it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it. From His presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're going to call on him as father, Know that He is the one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. He goes on, says, If you call on Him as Father, then conduct yourselves with fear. Now this word fear here is not necessarily fear as in like I'm afraid of the dark or I'm afraid of a scary movie. It's not that kind of fear. It's really more a fear of reverence and respect you know I'd like to think that uh, children respect and fear their parents in that sense that they fear them in a respectful way in an honoring way in a, a way of reverence and so he says if you're going to call him father then you need to conduct yourselves with fear so that I might illustrate this concept of fear here and how else it may be used, I want to share with you a couple of verses where the same original Greek word is used, but it is translated into another word besides fear. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, use this same word. But here it says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that word reverence there, the word translated reverence, it, the original Greek word is the same as the word translated fear here. So we might see this as if you call on Him as Father, conduct yourselves with reverence. Another example is found uh, in 1 Peter, a little further from where we are now, in chapter 2, verse 18. It says there, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That word translated as respect there is the original, in the original language is that same word that we see here in our text this morning translated as fear. So we might see it as, if you call on Him as Father, conduct yourselves with respect. So He's calling us here to acknowledge who God is. God is not your buddy. Far too often we get so familiar with God. We want Him to just kind of, hey, be our friend. And He is our friend. He cares about us more than any friend ever could. He provides for us. He gives us the breath of life. But He is not just your buddy. God is holy. God is righteous, as we saw from the passages before, that He can be a righteous judge. He sits enthroned in His majesty in heaven. God is not just your buddy. You see, the God that we serve, the God that wants to be your heavenly Father, is so much bigger, so much better than we could ever comprehend. 
It amazes me as I stop and think about that a moment that He is majestic, that He is the Creator of all things, and yet He wants to be my Father. He wants me to be His child. He wants to care for me and provide for me and encourage me. He spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be. And there was. God is majestic. He is awesome. God would not allow Moses to look upon his face lest he die because of his holiness. God's presence descended upon the mountain and there was lightning and peals of thunder. God warned Moses to keep the people away from the mountain or they too would die. He said, don't even let them come close. Create barriers so that they can't come to the foot of the mountain because of the presence of God had descended on the mountain. And because of His holiness, if the people even touched the mountain, they would die. This is the God that we're talking about. I'll give you a great example. A man named Uzzah. Now if any of you have family members that are expecting children and they haven't settled on a name yet. Uzzah is probably available. It's probably not the 2020 most popular name, but hey, you could set a precedent, you know, a new trend. Before the building of the temple, the tabernacle was mobile. It was a big, imagine it's a big tent. And it was here that the presence of God would dwell among His people and so when they moved about in the wilderness, they would have to take down this large tent and they'd have to move it around. They'd take it down, they'd carry it with them, and then they'd set it back up. And Aaron and his sons were responsible for taking down the tabernacle and for taking care of the contents. But there was the clan of Kohath that was responsible for carrying the tabernacle and its contents. So Aaron's, Aaron and his sons would pack it all up, and then the Kohathites would carry the tabernacle and all of the contents. So it is this Kohathite that Uzzah was a member of the clan of the Kohathites. And so we see in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, God warns them not to touch the holy things. He says, When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary... As the camp sets out, after that, the sons of Korath shall come to carry these. But they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. I want you to see that God is serious about His holiness. God is serious about His holiness. Later, while the Ark of the Covenant was in the possession of King David and his men. Instead of carrying it, somebody had the bright idea and decided that it'd probably be a good idea instead of carrying it, just put it on a wagon. Well, that's not what God said. He said that they were to carry it. But they put it on a wagon and they start down the road and something happened. This wagon drawn by oxen hit a dip in the road, and the oxen stumbled. 
and the ark began to fall off the wagon. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. It says, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. It's a comedy of errors, a series of mistakes, bad judgment. But in touching the holy ark, Uzzah demonstrated irreverence and disrespect, and so he died. In our passage this morning, it says, If you call on him as father, conduct yourselves with fear, with respect, with reverence. Reaching back to our passage last week, God said, Be holy, for I am holy. We should be respectful. We should treat God with reverence. He goes on in our passage this morning and says that you should conduct yourselves with fear, respect throughout the time of your exile. Now this is referring back to the first verse of First Peter. Those of you who were here may remember that he addresses this letter to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So those who have been uh, run out of town, so to speak, and had been scattered about. But the significance here for us is that we, in effect, are also those who have been scattered about. That we are not home. We're not living in our home. Those of us who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is not our home. This is a temporary place. We are just pilgrims passing through. We are just sojourners here. We are, in effect, among the exiles. And so he says, conduct yourselves with fear and respect throughout the time of your exile. So if we are going to call God our Father, if we are going to be the children of God, then while we are here in this temporary place, while we are here in exile, then we should conduct ourselves with respect, with reverence for God throughout our time here. He elaborates on this, that if you're going to call God your Father, then you should live your life with reverence and respect throughout your time here. But he explains why. He says that we should do this knowing that you were ransomed. Knowing that you were ransomed. What is your life worth? What is your life worth? Many years ago, I worked for an insurance company, a car insurance company. Had to work on some claims and stuff where you know people get hurt and you have to pay out money to repair their car or pay their medical bills and those sorts of things. And every once in a while, we'd get a claim where somebody had died in a car accident. And there'd be all kinds of actuary numbers and stuff out there that they would use to calculate the value of that person's life, depending on how old they were, 
depending on their job, their income, their age, how much longer they may have to work in their life, those sorts of things. They would calculate the value of a person's life. I didn't do that. I don't think I could. First of all, I wouldn't understand the numbers. And secondly, I just think I'd find it difficult to try to estimate the value of a life. So what is your life worth? If somebody was going to kidnap you, how much would they ask for? I figure in my case, they would probably pay you all to take me back. Again, I was working at that same insurance company I mentioned earlier. We had a lady that worked there. She wasn't very well liked, although she was one of those people that wasn't very well liked, but she didn't seem to realize that. Do you know people like that? She seemed to think everybody loved her, but really nobody could stand her. And so one day uh, the company had decided that they were going to do this fundraiser and they were doing all kinds of things around the office. They were doing little raffles and all kinds of games and stuff that people, almost kind of a carnival environment. You know, and people would pay money and that money would all go to the cost. Well, this lady decided that she thought that it was a great way for her to, to raise some money was she so-called locked herself in her office. And the only way she could get out was if people paid, right, to, to get her out of her office. About 3 o'clock that afternoon, she finally unlocked her door and came out because nobody had given any money. Not a very good ransom there. So what's your life worth? Or, or better yet, maybe a, a good example would be, what is your child's worth like? Your child's life worth? Or if you don't have children, maybe a spouse, a loved one, a parent. What is that worth? What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to pay? Because you see, the person who sets the rules is the one who's asking for the ransom, right? You don't get to decide. So they contact you and say, I have your loved one, I've kidnapped them, and here's the price you must pay to buy them back. Well, that's essentially what has happened with us. We have been kidnapped, in a sense. We've been enslaved by the devil, and he is holding us captive. God's Word says that the penalty, the ransom, if you will, the wages of sin is death. So somebody must pay that ransom to buy us back. Somebody must pay that price to get us back from the kingdom of darkness Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, says that the Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus, came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, He gave His life to pay that price because we couldn't pay it. You know, I think about that sometimes. It's like, well, what if somebody kidnapped one of my family members and they said you know you, you can have them back but it's going to cost you a hundred dollars well I might could go to some of you and borrow a hundred dollars I wouldn't have it but I could borrow a hundred dollars I get them back what if they called and said I got your family member and it's going to be a thousand dollars well I'd probably have to come to a lot of you then to borrow a thousand dollars but if they said 
It's going to cost you $10 million. That's right. I would just have to say, I don't have $10 million. I cannot pay the ransom. I want to. I want to. But I can't. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources to pay $10 million. I can't buy them back. And you see, that's how we are. That we are captive. We are slaves to the devil, to his kingdom of darkness. And the penalty, the ransom, the price is that someone must die to pay the price. But not just anyone. It must be someone who is perfect. Someone must live a perfect life and die a perfect death to pay the ransom, to set us free, to redeem us back. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, it says there, There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus paid the ransom. Jesus paid the price that I could not pay to redeem me, to buy me back, to ransom me. He paid that price, and He's willing to be a substitute for you as well if you ask. You see, we were ransomed. We were purchased, brought back, and redeemed. But as in our text today, it says, But not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Our eternal life cannot be earned. We can't work enough. We can't be good enough. But we also cannot purchase it. We can't purchase it if we earn enough money, if we save enough money, if we're wealthy enough. We can't buy it. Power in this world has no ability to earn it. So we were ransomed, but not with the perishable things of this world, not with silver or gold, not with wealth or with power, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He goes on in our text this morning, and he says, It is that precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You all may remember from some previous messages as we talked about the Passover. The Passover lamb. As the Israelites were held captive in Egypt, God was working through Moses to appeal to the Pharaoh to let his people go. And he brought plague after plague upon the Egyptians until finally he brings the plague of death. That he killed the firstborn of everyone, all of the Egyptians, anyone in Egypt. But God makes a way to protect the Israelites and he tells them that when death comes, every firstborn in Egypt will die, even down to the animals. He says the only way to be protected from that death is if you follow my instructions closely. 
And my instructions are that you go out to your herd, that you find a perfect lamb, one that is without blemish, a perfect lamb, without spot, without blemish. And you sacrifice that lamb. And you take the blood from that lamb and you paint it on the doorposts of your home. And when death comes through Egypt, that blood will cause death to pass over your house. And that's called the Passover lamb. And it is that that the Jews continue to celebrate even now. The Passover, the Passover lamb. And so he says in our text today that we were ransomed, that we were redeemed, not, but not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is our Passover lamb. It is the blood of Jesus over us that protects us from eternal death. I hear people sometimes will make the statement that uh, salvation is free. They might say it's the free gift of God. And so it is a free gift because we don't have to buy it. We can't earn it. But let me tell you, folks, salvation is not free. Jesus just paid the price for us. It may be free to me and you, but it was not free to Him. It was not free to God. There was a price that was paid. Going back to my illustration earlier, let's say, for instance, that one of my family members had been kidnapped and somebody called and said it's going to be $10 million to get them back. I would just have to curl up in a fetal position and give up because I don't have $10 million. I don't even have a way to get $10 million. But what if then I got another call and somebody said, I've got $10 million and I'm going to pay the price to ransom them back. See, that's what Jesus did. He said, I've got what it takes. I've got what you need. And I'm willing to give it to ransom you back. I'll leave you with one last question. In that same scenario, if somebody did that, if somebody said, I'm willing to pay the $10 million to get them back, how would you feel towards that person? What would your life be like after that situation? I mean, would they be somebody that you would just probably say, hey, by the way, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Or would you be like eternally indebted to them? Would you be like, I'm going to wash your car every day for the rest of my life. I'm going to go get you food and I'm going to bring it over to your house. I'm going to clean your house. I'm going to cut your grass. I'm going to do whatever it takes. If it takes me the rest of my life because of what you did for me. Because of the sacrifice that you made. Because of the gift that you gave that you were willing to ransom back that which I could not ransom. Well, that's what God is saying here. That we, if we're going to call God our Father, 
then we should live our lives with a sense of reverence and respect. Because we have been ransomed by the shed blood of Jesus. I bring your attention back to the simplified version. The essence of what this passage says. If you call on Him as Father, conduct yourselves with fear, with reverence. Knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I know you love us because you demonstrated that love to us by sending Jesus to die on a cross for us, to pay the price we couldn't pay, to ransom us back, to buy us back from the kingdom of darkness, the place that far too often we choose to dwell. And even after we are ransomed, many of us will take occasional strolls in the kingdom of darkness. We sometimes choose that place over the place you would have us be. Father, because of our sinful nature, we slip and we slide and we stumble and we fall. And yet, you love us anyway. Just as an earthly father loves their children even when they make mistakes, Father, we tend to pick them up and brush them off, give them a second chance. And so it is with you that you look into our lives, you realize that we are imperfect. But it is because of that imperfection, because of our brokenness, that you seek to reconcile us to yourself, that you want to mend us, to transform us, to make us into something new, that in effect we would become more like Christ. So I thank you for your love that covers a multitude of sins. I thank you for the ransom that you paid to redeem us so that we might be called the children of God. Father, may we recognize that. May we live our lives with reverence before you. That we'll never be perfect this side of glory, but Father, that we may seek to be holy as you are holy. That we may seek to live a life of righteousness that we can only do through the power of the Holy Spirit. May that be our desire. I lift this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.